You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Brewers on Tap. Welcome to episode number 51 of Brewers on Tap, the official podcast of the Milwaukee Brewers. I'm Lane Grindle, and let's get right into it and recap the week that was. Brewers last Wednesday lost to the Giants to finish off that series in San Francisco, then flew to L.A. to play four with the Dodgers. And after winning game one, eight to six, Dodgers walked off in 10 innings on Friday night, overcame a 5-2 deficit to beat the Brewers 13-5 on Saturday night, and then walked off the Brewers in the bottom of the ninth on Sunday afternoon. Then the crew traveled back up the coast for a quick two-gamer with the A's after an off day in the Bay Area on Monday. And Tuesday night saw the Brewers lose a lead and drop a 5-3 decision. Brewers are 31-40 and now on the season. Let's break it down. Lucky enough to be joined by Brewers Assistant General Manager Matt Arnold. Matt, it's good to see you. you've been on this whole trip. Um, you know, there's, uh, we're, we're reaching that midway point of the season. It's hard to believe sometimes. Yeah, we, yeah, it's, it's been uh, it's gone quickly. Actually, I feel like we've been busy the whole time. We've had a lot of stuff going on, obviously, with the draft just behind us, and then July second coming up for the international uh, uh, time there. So we're and then re- moving right into the to the trade deadline. So you know we're we're moving quickly. So it doesn't feel like it's been already halfway. So we're here. This is a crazy time for you guys. Obviously, there's a lot of work that goes into the draft, and let's start with that. It just wrapped up last week. Um, you guys had, a, I think, a, by all accounts, a very very good productive draft and it seems like the signings are are really rolling in now as well which is the second part of that some people forget about yeah it's a lot of work sort of after the draft that's that's uh i wouldn't call that the easy part but it's certainly you know kind of checking that off and then getting all the guys signed and in and playing and you know some of the teams have already started and looks like some guys are coming back and doing well already so it's exciting to see the early returns so far so you you look at the way that process works and i'm going to work backwards a little bit Moving the deadline up to the 15th a couple of years ago seems like that has made it maybe a little bit easier on everybody. It seems like guys are signing quicker and they're getting out to their their clubs or to their assignments faster now, which is good for them from a development standpoint. And I would think the other side of it, the college side of it, probably likes that too because they kind of know what they're dealing with now. Right. I think I think it helps everybody. I think it helps the colleges. It helps us. It helps the players. Helps the agents. You know, it just cuts out all the extra stuff and just gets guys ready to play. So, yeah, I, I think it's worked out well. All right, let's let's go with some of the picks you guys settled on. Um, you, you were out for a long time looking at some of these guys and figuring out where you wanted to go, not just with the number five pick, but with some of these picks afterwards. Still working on getting the Corey Ray deal done. That that I'm sure will get done in, in the near future. But you do have your number two pick in Lucas Ersig um, signed, out he he already played he he got a double couple hits the other night uh that's got to be fun for you guys to see those guys already out there on their assignments yeah absolutely yeah seeing the guys get out there like like lucas get out there he had three hits yesterday and just you know a double and um we're excited about him and and getting all these guys out there you know the 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 fun part is 
you know, seeing what these guys look like, you know, occasionally you'll, you'll get out there and you'll see, oh man, like, you know, this isn't exactly what we signed up for, but, but when it goes out there and it looks right and, and it, they start performing, I mean, that's, that's, that's the best part about what we do. I've talked with David quite a bit about this and I talked to Ray Montgomery after the draft as well. You know, it's, it's such a different process because you were projecting four five, six years out. It's harder to go with need or things of that nature, especially early on. As you guys all got in the room and worked through your first draft together, how did you see the different personalities working out? And was it fun for you guys to kind of all collaborate together finally after being together for a while but not having to work the draft yet? Yeah, absolutely. It was a ton of fun. I mean, I've had a relationship with Ray and David, you know, before I came over here and then working with them and collaborating with them and learning with them. Um, learning from them and from our scouts, I think was, was a really fun process. We had a lot of people in the room, a lot of opinions and trying to synthesize that all, all that information takes a lot of work and a lot of time and, uh, you know, not, not too many arguments, but occasionally those happen, yeah. but we all, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we're, we're on the same page and I think we're all, we all understand that we're all rowing in the same direction. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Ray talked about the, the large number of college arms that ended up coming the Brewers' way in this draft. And he said it wasn't really a plan. It just worked out that way on the board. When that happens, though, you know, from a development standpoint, is it a different approach in terms of, okay, here's how we see this guy's path versus a high school arm? When you have that many arms, I mean, how does that change things within the organization after the draft's over? I, th I think there's, you know, you're, you're going to treat guys sort of individually. I think everybody's going to have their own plan. Uh, I don't think we, we try not to have anything where it's sort of a cookie cutter um, approach with anybody. We want to get to know the player, get to know the person. And all these guys are very different. They, they come from different backgrounds. They come from different uh, workloads. Um, all of them have, you know, a lot of different ingredients, I think, and in, in what makes them special. And so we try to sort of work within their profile and put them in a position to have success. Matt, uh, your decision to come work with the Brewers, um, you, you've already talked about it. You knew David Stearns beforehand. You were familiar with Ray Montgomery and some of the other guys in the personnel side of things, on the baseball side of things. But how easy of a decision was it for you to, to say, I want to work with David and I want to do this thing with him? Yeah, I mean, you got a, I got a really unique opportunity here and, and something I don't, I don't take for granted. Um, you know, the, the chance to work with guys like David and, and Ray and, and Mark and, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, people I think here that, that have a chance to do something really special was really exciting. Obviously, um, still have a lot of friends with Tampa Bay. I was there for almost a decade and, and uh, you know, still maintain communication with them. Our wives still stay in, stay in touch. So we had a great relationship there. We had a great run, a lot of playoffs. It was it was a really, really good time um, and just, you know, felt like this opportunity was something that would be uh, really difficult to pass up, and, and it's been great so far. You now have the draft behind you, but the international signing, you know, uh, date is, is, is approaching us. And that's, uh, to me, that's a... F it's it's a really intriguing thing. Uh, sometimes you're looking at guys that are really young. Um, sometimes you're looking at guys that maybe are more established, and 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 it won't take them long, if if at all, before they're up at the big league club. How do you guys sit down, prioritize what you're looking for? I mean, I I, I got to think that's a little bit of a challenge, but it's also exciting because you can get some really big hits uh, within that group. Yeah, no question. We we have uh, a great director there. Manny Batista has done a fantastic job there, and his guys, they all work hard. They're, they're covering uh, the Dominican, Venezuela, and everywhere else, um, you know, that's that's accessible here. And, and we're going to 
you know, shake the trees and we're going to, we're going to dig and we're going to grind and, and get after it and try to find players that we think can help us in the future. And we have to obviously work within our pool and our restraints, but we're going to outwork people and try to find the best players available. So that's been, that's been the plan so far. Is that kind of a frontier in some respects where there's, I mean, there's an unlimited amount of guys that are out there. You need to go find them. And, and maybe if you find a guy, there isn't as much competition on that guy because it's they're, they're maybe not as exposed in the same way that kids in the States are. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. We we definitely have uh, an opportunity there, which I think is exciting. I mean, anytime you have a, a chance to sort of exploit inefficiencies in markets, I think that's what we need to be looking at. And uh, it's a little bit harder now, I think, with, with some of the showcases to sort of hide hide players out for sure. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we, we have to work outside that. So when everybody's looking at the showcase, maybe we'll go somewhere else. You know, we'll, we'll uh, dig further and, and uh, drive further and, you know, do whatever it takes to find players. And that's, that's kind of the plan. You mentioned the trade deadline's coming up, and that's always a challenging thing for, for every franchise because you're, you're not just worrying about your own roster and how you can maybe improve your roster or better uh, position it for long-term success. I'm, I'm sure you're also paying attention to what everybody else is doing too. How how do you balance those two things? Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I think the the market stays very fluid. I think staying on top of that with conversations with other teams and seeing what they're doing, what their interests are, what their needs are, I think is a is a big part of what uh, what David and I will do uh, over the next couple months. And you know, a lot of times, I think the the biggest thing it's we make a lot about the trade deadline and um, you know, but we do a lot of work sometimes that just never happens. You know, we right. just want to make sure that we're prepared. One thing that you notice with with every club is that everybody has their their list of things that they really value. Um, you know, whether it's different things within the sabermetrics world or player development standpoint, all those things. And, and I asked this question to Ray Montgomery uh, after the draft as well. Do you feel like sometimes you're back in like an eighth grade class and you're taking a test and you got the books up around you so nobody else can see your sheet? Because, you know, you, everybody copies everybody, and I'm sure you can look at other organizations and figure out kind of what it is that they're honed in on. But at the same time, if you feel like you have an advantage in some respect or you've got something figured out, you don't want everybody else to get onto it too quickly, right? Yeah, no question. I, there, there are uh, there are a lot of things I think that we're trying to do here to to operate differently, and that doesn't mean that that what we're currently doing isn't good. It's just trying to be more efficient um, and more effective, and constantly evaluating ourselves and looking at at uh, at our operations uh, top to bottom, and saying you know reflecting on on what we're doing every day, and saying hey, are we doing this the right way? Can we operate better? Can we do this differently? Uh, in order to gain that competitive advantage. So, yeah, there is certainly some of that cloak and dagger, I think, with the other teams that we have to be careful of. How often do you guys communicate with the coaching staff and vice versa, too, in terms of numbers and things that maybe you don't want them to share with players or you do want them to share with players because you think that can help them in their development? I think it's a, it's an ongoing discussion. I mean, right now we have we have a great advanced team. Uh, Brian Pawalish and Scott Campbell do a great job sort of heading that up. And, um, you know, they're, they're always in communication with the staff. Obviously, David and I are in regular communication with the staff and then communicating with the players. Um, you know, is, is largely the, the coach's job, but we'll provide them with the resources, whatever they need, whatever they think they want or don't want. Uh, we're here for them to provide that. Matt, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. You got it. Thanks, Lane. Checking in on the farm. <laughs> we start in AAA where Colorado Springs dropped a game on Tuesday night to Memphis by a final of 11-5. to They're now 31-36 and on the season. Willie Peralta took the loss. He's now 0-1 since getting sent down to Colorado Springs. One guy that's been hot recently, though, is Will Middlebrooks. And the pitch. Swing and a drive. 
Deep left field, on its way, there it goes. How about that one? Grand slam for Middlebrooks to walk it off here at Security Service Field. He is tied for the organization lead with nine home runs on the season. In double-A, Biloxi is through with their first half. They finished at 39-30. and 30. They're in the middle of their all-star game break now. But uh, they have Brett Phillips back from the disabled list. And we just told you about Will Middlebrooks and how he has nine home runs on the season. The guy he's tied with for the organizational lead is Brett Phillips. Brett's uh, out of Seminole, Florida. Seminole High School. He lines this one deep down that right field line. That's got a chance. It's at the track. It's at the wall. And kiss it goodbye over that four-foot wall where it's 317 right down the line. A line shot. Out the bat of Brett Phillips leaves the yard. Now the Shuckers finish just outside of first place in the first half. They'll try to wipe that away. They have a very talented team. See if they can get a division championship in the second half. Class A advanced Brevard County dropped a game on Tuesday night. They're now 23-44 and 44 on the season. They sent a bunch of guys to their All-Star game that was played last week. Class A Wisconsin is in the midst of their all-star break as well. They played their all-star game Tuesday night. Jake Gatewood collected a double in that one for them. They had a bunch of representation in that game with a numerous amount of their players, both catchers, Max McDowell and Mitch Gelfie, both making that all-star game. But Class A Wisconsin will look to have a good second half. They have a very talented roster and some names like Trent Clark that have a chance to contribute to them a little bit more in the second half of the season. And rookie ball has begun in Helena, and the Brewers are off to a 4-1 start. And Lucas Ursig, the number two pick for the Brewers this year in the draft, already out there and already turning some heads. He has six hits in his first three games of professional baseball. Let's catch up with the crew. This week as we catch up with the crew, I had a chance to sit down in Los Angeles with first base coach Carlos Subero, and I asked him how much he's enjoying this experience with the big league club. It has. It's been uh, great being able to work with a bunch of guys that continuously want to get better and uh, work hard at it. It's a daily grind trying to get information, being a first base coach, trying to get gather all the information for pitchers so we can try and steal a base and and do our job whenever we get the green light to do it with all the positioning that we got going around and sometimes you see hitters make an adjustment and here comes a hard throwing guy from the bullpen and so all the variables that come into play it definitely keeps you on your toes throughout the whole game you have a guy in jonathan vr that has 25 stolen bases now he leads the national league what do you talk about with with guys like him versus maybe other guys that you know aren't going to get put into motion as much as you get prepared for a series or even prepared for a game? Yeah, it's a, it's it's on a daily basis. Right before the game, we'll go to the computer. Uh, we, we have previously, sometimes it takes 45 minutes to see what a pitcher has. Sometimes it takes less than that. You know, like two nights ago with Casimir was tough, you know, and being able to hold DJR for so long at first base and just tell him, hey, Scott's doing a great job of holding you. Don't go. Don't force it. I think he learned in San Francisco. He kind of forced one with Cueto, and we had that information. It was tough to steal, and he tried it. Now, he didn't try it with Scott, but we did have information at second base, and he took off and stole the base, so it validated that. And yesterday, pretty similar. Blanton's going real quick, throwing a lot of picks. We didn't have clear information. 
He got to second base. We had better, and then he steals third base again. So I think that shows you maturity. Early in the year, VJR would force some steals. Now he's like, you know what? If you got me, you got me, but I might get you at second base. If not, all the bunch of throwover, we hope that our hitter at the time gets a better pitch. Or in case of Bronny, he got hit by pitch. Now next thing, we got first and second, double steals, second and third. And we had a shot for Lucro and Carter, who was behind. So uh, I think he's he he's definitely maturing that aspect of the game. Carlos, when you prepare for a guy like Urias last night, who you know only made a handful of starts at the major league level, but there's certainly a lot out there on him because he's been in the Dodgers system for the last three or four years. How do you divvy that up? How much do you look at from what he did at AAA and AA versus what he's done in his four starts coming into last night? And, and you could see it if you see him two years ago, his pickoff move, and you see it now, and you see how it gets better. I think you'd like to go always to those last games. Like, it happened real quick on a guy on the Braves, Ogando, high set. Next thing we know, he's low set. Well, one game before we got there, he, he turned into a low set. So you always try and pick the latest game and try to pick up tendencies and, and see how it goes. You get background information, but then you do that. For me, our biggest thing is those last two, three games that you pitch if you're a starter. How busy are you in the middle of the game working with Craig on positioning of the infield? Because obviously it's something you guys do a lot of. Yeah, we, we, we put a plan before the series and then as pitchers go like tonight, if we think somebody requires a change like Gonzo last night, being able to take a couple pitches the other way and get a couple singles, does that bother us? Or we're more concerned about his slugging percentage. You know, If we take away slugging by him trying to flick at the other side, with a player like Gonzo, we might be all right with it. But we talked about it. We'll keep the plan. And, and th- throughout the game, there's not really much. There might be some. I think before the game is where the real preparation comes so he can concentrate on his pitch on the other side, and we just got the whole thing that we previously talked. Carlos, always appreciate it. Thanks so much for the time, and again, happy belated birthday. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Our thanks to Carlos Subero for joining us on Brewers on Tap. <laughs> Here's what's on tap with the Brewers. Well, a big weekend coming up at Miller Park. Free shirt Friday on Friday the 24th. Camel ball and glove shirt for that series opener with the Washington Nationals. Then Saturday, this is going to be cool. It's going to be Negro League's tribute game. Uh, The Brewers are going to wear vintage Milwaukee Bears uniforms as they host their annual Negro League tributes game at Miller Park honoring African-American heritage in baseball. There's a lot going on with this. It's, it's, it's really going to be cool. They're going to be honoring former players and baseball contributors Roosevelt Jackson, who's 98 years old, Ray Knox, William McCrary as well. There's going to be an autograph session with those guys. There's going to be a reception at Health Airfield. You're going to want to learn more about this and, and, and see if you can get involved in it uh, or at least be over there to take part in it. It's going to be very, very cool. And we told you that the Brewers are going to be wearing those Milwaukee Bears uniforms, the city's 1923 Negro Leagues representative. The Nationals are going to be wearing uh, the uh, Homestead Grays, who played home games in Washington, D.C. from 1940 to 1942. So really going to be a cool day on Saturday at Miller Park. And then Sunday, June 26th, that's going to be awesome because it's going to be Greg Vaughn 90's bobblehead day. Plus, it's kids eat free Sunday. So you bring kids out, they get something to eat, everybody gets a bobblehead. All fans can receive that bobbleheader, the former Brewer Slugger. He's got the glasses on. It, it, it's really cool. I've seen it already. Uh, the crew's Navy 90s uniform. Uh, go check that out. going to be very, very cool. And, of course, it's a kids eat free Sunday. All kids 14 and under. Get a hot dog, bottled water, apple slices, and an ice cream treat for that big series with the Nationals coming up this weekend at Miller Park. That is going to do it for this edition of Brewers on Tap. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Same place, same time. Brewers, Brewers.
Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 